I hope you know that you have a call on your life. Many Christians don't realize how important they are to God's plan to touch the world. Many Christians have accepted a culture of just going to church and doing good things. But you have a specific call. Everyone, every Christian that's born again has a call in their life to be part of the body of Christ, to have a specific job to participate in in following God. In God's plan, it means that He wants us to mature in our calling, to grow in our calling, to grow in Him and have Him place us in our calling. While many Christians don't even realize they're called, they just think their job is to be nice, uh, don't cheat on their taxes too much, don't yell at their kids too much, go to church on Sunday and then do that again. That they feel that is what Christianity is. And a lot of people are going to go to heaven living that lifestyle. But there's so much more for us. There's so much more that God has for us. And today, I want to talk to you about how to walk into your calling. How to walk in your calling the right way. If you have any desire in you or ambition in you to please God, there's a chance that you've already attempted to do things for God. And maybe you've been successful or maybe you come to a dead end. And we want to address some of that today because we want to succeed. I want you to succeed in, number one, when you stand before God, He says to you and to me, well done, good and faithful servant. But also to succeed now to walk in your calling, to find it, and not spin your wheels. Because too many Christians I know, good, well-meaning, hungry people to serve God, have run ahead trying to work and do their life for God and ended up tired and broken and wore out to the point that they just gave up on trying to even find a calling. They just accepted, maybe I'm not special or important to the family of God. My job is just to support someone who is. And I don't want you to ever think that about yourself, that you're not important or special to God, because you are. You're just as important as anyone else. When you were in your mother's womb and the Spirit of God came to you for the first time, that's when God met you for the first time in your mother's womb. And God came and He met you for the first time. He looked at you and He planted and placed a calling on your life. And then He went ahead to the future and He waited for you to find Him. And the moment you were born again, He wanted you to grow up as a child of God, to mature. And then he wanted you to begin to walk towards your place in the body of Christ. And your place in the body of Christ is not just to sit there and to support someone. There are seasons for that. But your place is very important. No one else can do it for you. No one else can replace you. You've been called by God. And if God placed that calling on you in your mom's womb, uh, you didn't get to vote. You didn't get to say, oh, I want to be a mighty apostle or a great entrepreneur. You didn't get to choose or vote your calling. God gave you your calling. He assigned it to you. So if you didn't get to aspire to a calling or, or to become something on your own ability, on your own desire, I'm a mighty apostle. Look how many people I've touched. I'm a mighty evangelist. Look how many people I got saved. Uh, you didn't choose that. You didn't choose your calling. You didn't make your calling happen. So why would you think that your calling in God's eyes is less important? Because you didn't aspire to it. He gave you the calling. 
You can't choose to be an apostle if you're not an apostle. You can't choose to be a mighty entrepreneur if you didn't choose that to. And, uh, a pastor, an evangelist. You know, we have evangelists come through the church, and, and I love evangelists. They're passionate, true, full-blooded evangelists. Is interested in winning souls, going outside, winning souls, telling people about Jesus. And you get one of them in your church to preach, and you're excited. The service is good, and he'll stand up there, or she'll stand up there in the pulpit and said, You bunch of fat on the word Christians, you're still full of the word of God. It's time for you to get out and do something. And they may be right, but an evangelist sees life through winning souls. The evangelist will tell you, go to John 3.16. Now take that page in your Bible and rip it out. That's the only page you're going to need because that's the page that talks about salvation. Now let's go win the world. People are dying and going to hell and you're sitting in church. Get out of the church. Go. And when you come through seasons where God wants you to pray and not be busy, but to to grow and grow in strength and knowledge of God, to pray and seek Him... If you don't understand it, you can feel guilty for not being too busy doing other things. Well, God has a specific thing for you in your calling that only He can bring you to. And that's kind of the heart of the message. Number one is your calling is specific. That means because God called you specifically, you're no less important than anyone else. God may call a person to spend their whole life, I want you to spend your whole life helping just one person get saved. I mean, that's the whole essence of your life and your Christianity with God. Your whole time on this earth is the fruit is I got one person saved. That's the fruit of your life. The fruit of your whole life is that one, one, just one little soul got saved, but that's what God called you to do. See, if you get it wrong, you'll think that God is impressed with numbers in, a, in the amount. I brought in this amount of money. I led this many people to the Lord. I prayed for this many people to be healed. I started this many churches. I've got these many people uh, following me on, on uh, social media. And, and you'll start to accumulate numbers and think that's impressive to God. What's impressive to God is not what we do for Him, but if we do what He's told us to do. So there was a man I met one time. I was preaching in Michigan, and we went for lunch with the pastor, a wonderful pastor. And and, uh, we ran into an evangelist there, or a a minister there, not really an evangelist, but a minister. And his story was amazing, that years and years ago, God told him and his wife to go to, think, Papua New Guinea, some island nation, and where half of it is very rugged and, and uncivilized and the other half is more civilized, and God sent him to the uncivilized half of the island where they had uh, tribes that were still cannibals. And he said that God told him to go and help one small tribe. Out of the whole world, God sent him to help one small tribe. Because when you know God, you know that he loves that tribe of cannibals. <laughs> I don't know if his tribe was cannibals, but he loves that tribe as much as he loves the city of uh, New York or Sao Paulo or um, Tokyo, that he's as interested in the little tribe in the jungles of Papua New Guinea as much as he is with the millions and millions of people in a giant city around the world. 
And the story was that he went there and they did not have a written language, only a spoken language. So he stayed there and he he had kids there and raised his kids and had a family there and raised the family within the jungles of Papua New Guinea with the one little tribe. Now there were many other tribes, but he was just with one tribe. I hope I'm getting the story accurate. And he spent his whole life, I mean, 30, 40 years of life and ministry. And in those years, he learned their language. And because they didn't have a written language, he established and built a written language for their language for that tribe. So now that tribe had a a spoken language, which he learned. And then he taught them, he developed and then taught them how to write and read a written language that he developed by their language. And that took many years. And then he took the scripture and he translated it into the language of that tribe and into the writing that he developed for that tribe specifically. Now that was his life. His life was about that small group of people and he left that little tribe with a written Bible in their language and taught them about Jesus. Now, when he goes to heaven, he'll stand there and he'll have a little tribe of people to say, this is my fruit. I got 36 saved. And her grandkid isn't in heaven yet, so really I got 37. So 36 saved, God. That's my fruit. And right next to him will be someone else, and they'll have, they may be a world evangelist. And the world evangelist will stand in there in the room and look at the one man with 36 and maybe 37 people saved from fruit of him. And the, the world evangelist will look, and you'll have millions and millions and millions of people. God, I've got millions of testimonies of people whose lives I've touched and who've been born again because of me. And God will look at both of them. And you know the reward will not be because of how many people they got saved. The reward will be, did they do what God told them to do? And so your calling may mean you only touch one person in your life. God God loves one person that much that he might ask you to give your whole life up to see that person go to heaven. That's the love of God. But the reward for that is you'll get the same reward as the evangelist who's got a hundred million saved if you both did what God wanted you to do. So it's not a game of numbers of how many people I've witnessed to, how many people I've talked to, how many people I've prayed for. It's not a game of numbers. It's a game of obedience. And when you come to your calling, God has a calling for you that's going to require your obedience. And unfortunately, many in our culture today, our Christian culture, have learned how to be busy for God. Doing gospel stuff, yes, praying for people, witnessing, feeding the poor, all that's wonderful things. But because they got so busy doing that, just that, they've missed out on being able to follow God into their calling. Because when you follow God into your calling, it requires obedience. And obedience means you may take a left when you think you're supposed to go right. You think, well, my calling's over here, God, But God says, I want you to take a left because you have something you need to learn first. And many Christians run away from the learning season and the growing season 
to stay in the busy season, and they use their calling to justify it. I know God's told me, I feel God's told me to take a left and go down this path, but that path, there's nothing going to happen. That's prayer and fasting and a path of serving and, and dying to myself. And there's people over here that I'm witnessing to and I'm ministering to, and sometimes we use our busyness in the name of God to kind of justify disobedience to the things that God has for us. And so that's what we want to talk about today in your calling. God's called you specific. Your calling was given to you by God, and because of that, it's unique and no one else can replace you. And because of that, your reward is not how many people you touch. Your reward comes with how obedient you are in your life to following God. And so you may think, uh, that, like a lot of Christians do, I am insignificant because I don't have much I can do. And that's a lie from the devil. You're not insignificant. He's your father as much as he was Paul's father. God's your father as much as he was Jesus' father. God is your father. You come because Jesus made a way for his father to become your father. So his plan for you, in his eyes, you're just as important to him, to his work, as anyone else who's ever lived. There's no one else in the world who is alive today or has ever lived who is more important, whose calling and in whose person is more important than you. You are equally as important in God's eyes, and what you do for God is equally as important. Now, man, we like to lift people up, but God, he, does, he doesn't like to lift people up. He likes to be lifted up, not the man. And we've got to stop that in some, some of our Christian culture, I think. So we're going to start over here in Galatians chapter 4. And I'm going to use Abraham's story to kind of teach some principles that I believe at my root and my core, some principles about how should I walk into my calling? How should I follow God? Now, I do believe in serving. I think it's important that in our life that we learn how to serve without reward. We learn how to help and be involved with good Christian stuff. Uh, Witnessing is fine. Uh, Feeding the poor is fine. If you attend the church, being a blessing in the church and helping the church. Activities of doing things for others uh, where we don't do it to get a reward is a healthy, healthy habit. Practice to learn. Because really, eventually, the way you walk in your calling is not to rule over people. It's not to be looked up to. It's to serve people. The same way you would serve someone, a poor person, a sandwich, is the same way you should serve the Word of God if you're a preacher. Preaching is not to make you special. It's a way of serving people. So I'm going to read in Galatians chapter 4, verse 22. We Again, we're talking about walking into our calling. And I hope you understand when I say calling, I'm not talking just about pulpit ministry. I'm not talking about the fivefold ministry. I'm talking about the whole body. You have a calling. It's specific. It may not be behind the pulpit, but it's just as important. You may not be the entrepreneur that brings in $20 million to the gospel, but you're just as important. You may be an entrepreneur that only brings in $10 to the gospel. Well, that $10 gets you the same reward if it's in God's will than the guy who brought in $20 million. So quit beating yourself up and thinking you're not important. That's a lie. 
and your calling is just as important to God's plan as any other call. We are all part of the body. And so finding our calling, I have found many different suggestions over the years from many different preachers on how we're supposed to find our calling, how we're supposed to serve God. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, a lot of preachers, they'll make the callings like two things. We're called to win souls and bring money into the kingdom. That's it. And they dilute the body of Christ to just doing two jobs. Where the body of Christ is vast with many jobs. Just look at your own body. How many jobs, parts do you have that do different things? You need all of them, not just one of them. You need the whole body to operate. Well, that's God. Jesus is the head and the rest of us, we are his body. And I think because of bad teaching or religious teaching or lazy teaching that we've gotten to a place of, you know, we're just going to go win souls and pray for the sick. We're supposed to do that as believers. Every one of us should be doing that, winning souls, praying for the sick. That should be part of our lifestyle, but not our calling. Our calling is much more specific in that. Oh, let's start in verse 22, chapter 4 of Galatians. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. And he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise. Which things are symbolic, he says, For those are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, for Hagar is Mount Sinai in this imagery he's talking about, in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is mother of us all. For it is written, verse 27, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. So there's two children, there's two women, and one was born according to the flesh, and one was born according to the spirit. And in this imagery, he's really talking about the old covenant and the new walk with Christ. But he uses this as an example, that Abraham and Sarah concocted a way of making a son. And it came out that Hagar, uh, which was Sarah's servant, gave birth to Ishmael. And in this scripture, Paul is saying Ishmael was born by flesh, but Isaac was of the promise of born of the spirit verse 29 but he who is born according to the flesh then persecutes him who is born according to the spirit even so it is now nevertheless what does the scripture say cast out the bondwoman and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir of the son of the free woman so then brethren we are not children of the bondwoman but of the free now in galatians paul here is specifically addressing legalism and uh, Judaism and following the law to try to find God. But we want to look at that imagery on how to work with your calling. Because Abraham had a promise from God, and that's what I'm turning to now in Genesis 
chapter 12, I believe it is. Genesis chapter 12. And, and this is going to run along the lines of with your calling. Because I was hungry to serve God as a young man. Ambitious to please God. And had a little mixture of self-ambition in there, which, you know, it was I was hiding, didn't know, didn't know it, but I was hiding it behind serving God. You know, in other words, I served God to get God to give me things, to love me, or people to look up to me. But thank God for praying in the Holy Ghost, because that's helped me to hopefully um, get past most of that. Uh, chapter 12, verse 1, And now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. And in you all the families on the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old. When he departed from there. And he took Sarah his wife. And Lot his brother. Brother's son. So now. This is the promise to Abraham. He'll be the father of many nations. The promise that he'll have an heir. God has a promise for you in your calling. Maybe you've got, you've heard it. In your prayer time. Maybe you've heard it from prophecies. That someone gave you that you trusted. And you have an idea of what your calling is. Or you may not even know what it is specifically. But you know that you want to be part of the kingdom of God. You are called to something. And so how do we get there? This is where I ran into a lot of trouble as a young man. Because I had many people, well-meaning people, who believed it was true. But they were trying to teach me how to make my calling come to pass. Uh, Alan, are you, you're called to teach. You're called to minister. So you need to be making a way for that to happen. One conversation I had, they said, well, what is your five-year plan? And what they meant was, what is your five-year plan to go from where you are in your ministry, in your calling, to where it will be coming to pass? And I said, I've never heard of a five-year plan like that. I said, the only five-year plan I have is to be in God's will. Because I was locked into God had to promote me. God had to walk me to my calling. And when we remove that from God's hand and we hold on to it because we want to have the right to live our life how we want to, what we're saying is I'm going to serve God and give God time and money and things, but I'm still in charge of my life. I'm in charge of how and when I do that. And this is where much of the Christian religion is in our culture, where people are going to heaven, they serve God, they do things for God, but really they're in charge of their life. They've yet to allow God to lead them. Because in my walk with God personally, there's been multiple times where the very thing He promised to me was right there in front of me, but He didn't let me have it. He had me go another way. And that's why I say we don't make decisions in following God based on opportunity or frustration. Just because there's an opportunity for something that God even told you He wants you to have, it doesn't mean it's your place to take it unless God tells you to take that opportunity. 
in the same way, just because you're frustrated where you're at and frustrated that things aren't looking good for your what God's told you, we don't make a decision because we're frustrated. We walk with God and we are obedient to Him with this promise that if you obey Him and follow Him and grow up in Him, you will walk in your calling. But your calling will be of the Spirit and not of the flesh. And so, you know, I heard for years as a young man turning over to chapter 15 of Genesis. And I heard many times as a young man, preachers would tell me, now, Alan, your best decision or your worst decision in life will be who you marry. And they're pretty accurate on that. And then they said, and always remember, there's an Ishmael. The devil will send an Ishmael before he sends an Isaac. We tell all the single young ladies that. Pray for your husband, but just remember the devil will send an Ishmael. Someone who looks right, smells right, acts right, but it's not God's man for you. Wait for the Isaac. Well, I kind of uh, had that philosophy in the, in the ministry that I wanted the Isaac in my calling and not the Ishmael. And I didn't want to take the devil's Ishmael. But what we discover here, we're going to look over here in chapter 15. And I'm going to read verses 1 down uh, to verses 5. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram, Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Look, you give me no offspring. So he's saying, even though you promised me I'd be the father of many nations, you've not given me an offspring. We cannot get pregnant. Then Abram, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. So this is the promise of God to him specifically that you are going to have a child that comes from your body. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now towards heaven and count the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And we love this because this is God building his faith. Look up and, and look at the stars. If you're discouraged, you know, encourage yourself. Look, look at what's possible through God for you. And he said to him, So shall be your descendants. And he believed in the Lord and accounted it to him for righteousness. So here is that conversation between Abraham and God where he said, You shall have a son, an heir that comes from your own body, not a cousin or a nephew or a, any of that. An actual son. And he was 75, 80 at that time. Chapter 16 and we're learning this because this is the path that many, 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 many Christians do in the name of trying to fulfill the call of God on their life. They go down the same battle that Abraham did. They're trying to create their calling. They're trying to walk out their calling. But they do it in their flesh and not through the Spirit of God. That they are accomplishing things for God. They're doing things for God. They're building something for God. They're evangelizing for God. All of that's good stuff. But there's something more important. That is what God can do through you. But to, for God to do through you, He has to be in charge of your life. 
not you. You have to grow and mature and let go of everything. One of the, the greatest hindrances for this is the idea that God's given you dreams. And so anything that lines up with that dream is God's will. Go for it. And uh, God's job is to fulfill your dreams and the visions that he gave you. And so we have too many Christians chasing their dreams in the name of God. But God doesn't want you bled by your dreams. God gave Abraham a dream. Absolutely, he gave him a dream. You're going to have a son. And then what did he do? He asked Abraham to sacrifice his dream. Sacrifice Isaac. So Abraham had to take the very dream that God gave him, the very calling that God gave him, and he had to sacrifice it, and in his heart he did. He killed Isaac in his heart with the idea that God could resurrect it if he needed to. God gave it to him. God can resurrect it. Which for you is important because in your calling, if you own it, you won't give it up. You'll offer it to God as an offering, but if he owns it, then it's not yours to give or to make happen. And this is so powerful. It makes you be vulnerable to God, and it makes amazing things happen without your effort. Your job is to obey God and trust God. And so the reason why God doesn't want your dreams to fulfill you, the reason why he wants you to kill your dreams, when I say kill your dreams, I simply mean kill your power to make your dreams come to pass, even the ones godly promises. I'm not talking about, uh, well, I'm talking about your calling now, that what you're doing for God. I'm not talking about believing for provision or healing. That's a, a whole different topic. But when your dreams of walking in the things of God that God told you, in your calling, the very dreams he gave you, he'll ask you to, on this path, he will ask you to kill it. And what he's asking you to do is take your power to make the purpose of God come to pass and kill it. Because God doesn't want your dreams satisfying you. He's a jealous God, and He wants to be the one who satisfies you. He wants to be the one who encourages you, makes you feel magnificent and great and strong. He wants to be the one you go to when you're lonely. He wants to be everything to you. And He doesn't want your dreams to be your source of fulfillment. He wants to be your source of fulfillment. Your purpose is not to serve God. Your purpose is to walk with God. That's a big, big difference. Many Christians will never understand that statement. That your purpose is not to serve God. Your purpose is to walk with God. So I'm in chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abraham, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid servant whose name was Hagar. Now in their culture... If you owned a slave, or a servant in these words, if you owned a slave, then technically everything that slave owned you belonged to you, even the slave itself. And so Sarai, Abraham's wife, who could not give him children, had a maidservant. Her name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain child children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. 
after Abram had dwelled 10 years in the land of Canaan. So this is about 10, 11 years after the promise of God. And, you know, sometimes when we're walking with God, it can seem like forever before the things start to come, the promises come to pass. And you can be frustrated that maybe you're doing something wrong. But sometimes you're not doing anything wrong, you're doing everything right, and God is walking with you and encouraging you and helping you to birth your calling through His Spirit and not through your flesh. So he went into, verse 4, went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became uh, despised in her eyes. So Sarah had the plan. Hey, technically, everything I, I own belongs to us, my servant. And so why don't you make her your wife? And technically, I own her, and I own all that she has. And so if she has a child, that, might, that may be how God wants this to happen. And this is where I learned that the devil did not send Ishmael to Abraham. But Abraham and Sarah's, Sarah's, Sarah at this time, but Abraham and Sarah, their desire to fulfill the promise of God overtook them to where they decided how to make the promise of God come to pass. So they took it into their own hands and they decided to make the promise of God happen by the flesh. And this is where I want to have a, like a heart-to-heart with you. That you have the ability to do things for God. And it looks like it's, it's what you're called to do. It's, it looks like what good church folk do. But it's out of your flesh. And if you create it, you got to keep that thing alive. You're responsible for it. This is Abram and Sarah decided they were going to make God's will come to pass. And now watch interesting here in verse 4, chapter 16. So he went into Hagar. Now he's 86 years old at this time. And she conceived. So that tells you something. That tells me that Abraham's body at 86 worked. Abraham's body, and, and it's not uncommon. There's lots of, you know, rock stars today who are, I don't know, maybe not 86, but they're up in their late 70s and they're still having children with 20-year-olds and it's ridiculous. Well, Abraham's body worked. He had the natural ability to make a child. It was Sarah's body who didn't work. Abraham's body's body worked, and he had the ability to make a child. Your ability to make your calling come to pass is not what God is interested in. He's interested in a whole different path of your calling to come from His Spirit and not by your flesh. Too many people, good, well-meaning people pursuing God, run off quickly a lot of times they're encouraged. Don't You don't need to spend all that time praying. You don't need to spend all that time in the Word or learning who you are. You don't need to spend all that time serving. I remember many times people will come to me, what are you doing? Where, why are you still where you're at? You should be doing this and this and this. Just go do it. I Here, let me open the door for you. And, and I had to say, no, God's put me here. 
I don't understand why he's put me where he is at that time, but I know I'm supposed to be here, and I'm not leaving until he tells me to. You can't let opportunity lead you, and you can't let frustration push you. Because as many times I was in the perfect will of God and did not like it one bit. I wanted to get out of it. I tried. My natural man gave me lots of reasons to justify getting out of it. But I stayed in the will of God. We're not led by opportunity and we're not led by frustration. So we see in verse 4 that Abraham's body did work. Abraham's body worked. And because it worked, because Abraham's body worked, he created an Ishmael, a whole child, fulfilling in the flesh what God told him. He fulfilled in the flesh what God had told him. That is verse 4. Now skip over here, verse 15, and we'll read on and, and we'll learn the importance of these things. Verse 15 of chapter 16, So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, who Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now the next verse, chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old. So Ishmael is about 13 years old at this time. This is 13 years later. 13 years later and almost 25 years later from when God gave him the promise. Can you imagine God giving you a promise for your calling for 25 years and you don't have any fruit of it? Don't be discouraged when you don't have actual proof of what you're doing, but you have obedience to God. Verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations nations. Abraham means exalted father or father of multitudes. So God changed his name when he was 99 years old. You're not too old. You're not too old. There's lots of time left. You're never, we're never too old. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan and the everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my commandment and your descendants after you through the generations. This is my commandment which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of the foreskin and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So this is talking about salvation here. The reason they're circumcised is to show that we receive a new nature. 
Now let's read down in verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. So here God changed her name to help her to see herself as different as well. She's 90. And I'll bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, O Ishmael might live before you. This is so many times we do this. We create something that looks like what God wants from us. And then we try to make God take it. God, I built this for you. I did this for you. I'm doing this for you. Won't you receive it? Don't reject it. I created this thing just in your name for you. And God said, no. God's not interested in what we can do in the flesh. I wish the church world could see this. We have so many people spending their time, their life essence, their their life heart energy, money, everything they have, trying to do good things for God. And when they stand before God and offer Him all their good works, He might say, no, that's not the child I wanted you to have. I wanted to create a child through you. I wanted to create a calling through you, but it had to be from me, through me. I didn't want you building something in my name. Uh, I wish the church world could really grasp what I'm trying to say. I pray you can grasp what I'm trying to say. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Boy, we do this a lot. We create something in the name of God, and then we try to get God to accept it, and we feel rejected when he doesn't. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I'll establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant, and with his descendants after him. So Abraham's and Sarah's first attempt to create the child that God promised through Hagar, Ishmael, was rejected of God. And he said, I promise you a son that will be of your body. And through Sarah. Now let's look over here because Abraham's 99, Sarah's 90. And we're going to just jump down to chapter 18, verse 9. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Probably at 90, it's pretty good chance even back then then sarah laughed within herself saying after i have grown old shall i have pleasure my lord being old also so abraham laughed and sarah laughed at the promise of god coming through the spirit of god 
And the Lord said of Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I'll return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. <laughs> so we know now the story, and Abraham and Sarah had a son. And his name was Isaac. In chapter 21, And the Lord visited Sarah, verse 1, And he said, And the Lord did for Sarah what he had spoken. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son, born to him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Now Isaac was born by faith. And this is what's important. Abraham, when he went into Hagar, his body worked. His body worked. And he created a child. But when God told him, now I want you to have a child with Sarah, both of their bodies did not work. Both of their bodies were unable to make children in the natural. So the only way Isaac was born was born by faith in God. Isaac was born by faith in God. And this is the difference between the callings, the pathways to our callings. We can try to do them in the flesh with our ability, and we can create something, but it will be an Ishmael. The devil didn't send it our lack of obedience, our lack of trust in God, our lack of patience is what caused all these Ishmaels to be created in the name of God ministries and activities in the name of God. But there is a special calling for you that must be born by faith, which will only happen like Abraham. Abraham's promise from God did not come to pass until Abraham's body did not work. It wasn't until Abraham's body was dead to childbirth that that's when they created a child by faith. And that's what God wants to do with your calling. I know this seems like a longer road. It is a much longer road, but it's a healthy road. It's a strong road. It's a road that won't let you down. And it's a road where you have to receive it and believe it and walk with God and be vulnerable to God every day. It's a beautiful road. And it's tough to the flesh. The flesh will not like it. The flesh will give you a thousand shortcuts, a thousand ways to fix it. But when you're dead to your ability, you lay down your ability to make it happen for God. And all you have is His His will, His timing, His obedience. Then you'll find the very thing that you, you would sacrifice your life for to create for God. You didn't have to sacrifice your life for. You sacrificed your life for Him. And He created it for you by faith and gave it to you. This is when God gives you the very thing that you could build and try to build on yourself. But what you will build will be in the flesh, and it will be incomplete, and it will not finish the race. But what God wants to do through you, in faith, in obedience, is as powerful as Abraham and Sarah creating Isaac when their bodies did not work. God's promise did not come to pass through Abraham's ability. When he was able, God did not tell him it was time. It was only after he was no longer able to have a son. 
same with you. He'll take you down the road. And sometimes as we follow God down this path, it can seem like it's a season of death. And it is a season of death to your ability. It's a season of death to your flesh's ability to do some good things in the name of God. But in that, God gets all the glory. God gets all the credit. When you go down this path, you know that all that you have and all that you do is because of God, not because of you. So you can't take any glory anyway. All the glory has to go to God. See, God wants us to receive our self-worth, to receive our value from Him, because we're His child, not from what we do for Him. And I fell for this for many years. It's a counterfeit, purpose-filled worthiness. Thank God for praying in tongues, because just praying in tongues saved me from making so many mistakes. Because I would have went down many, many wrong paths if it wasn't for the Spirit praying out the perfect will of God in my life. And so all these avenues of doing something good for God, I think it's important that we serve. I think it's important that we get our hands dirty and help out and, and yeah, feed the poor and, and do those things. I'm not talking about those things today. I'm not talking about being nice to your neighbor. I'm not talking about uh, helping around the church I'm talking about when you start to build your calling and start to try to create the very thing that God's called you to on your own, with your own ability, instead of allowing God to lead you. Because God may lead you times, which He has me, to where I am nowhere near the promise of my calling. I'm no, not even near it. I can't see how I'm going to get there. And God led me to these places, places where I was alone, places where I didn't feel value. I had to find my value from Him, places where my hands were tied, where I couldn't, even if I wanted to, make things happen. And it was because God was taking me to a place of death, of my ability to make things happen in the name of God. And as I went with Him, being led by the Holy Spirit, I didn't know He was cultivating the very promises of God through faith and the things that he's given to me in my calling has been such a blessing and amazing. And it hasn't cost me my family. It hasn't cost me things of ambition where we pursue something so much we lose our friends or family because we're so focused on performing for God. I've been able to seek God, die to my flesh in some areas, and i still got a lot more to do and watch Him give me the very thing that I gave up trying to make for Him. It's an amazing thing. And if you don't ever experience it, you never know how amazing it is. What a shame that many, many Christians will never experience what I'm talking about today. When God hands you your calling, hands you your dream, He gives it to you because you let it die. You didn't pursue it. You didn't add to it. You didn't make it. You didn't build up to it. He gave it to you because you died to your ability to make it happen. In obedience to Him, not just, I'm going to die, God, but in obedience to Him and following Him. Pray in tongues, seek Him, worship Him, meditate the Word, and let Him lead your steps. And when He leads your steps, if it's in directions that are opposite of what your calling is or the dreams that He gave you is, that's a good sign. That means you're on the path of faith, the path of creating an Isaac instead of an Ishmael. That's what we want, our callings, our ministries around the world to be those of faith, of Isaacs built by faith and not Ishmaels built by the flesh. Let's fulfill our calling by the Spirit and not by the flesh.
been a pleasure. Thanks so much for spending time with me. God bless you.